an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Tracy Long. She is a functional nutritionist specializing in nutrigenomics. I know Tracy because she helped me to clean up my body after I gave birth to my son. I was experiencing a lot of fatigue and health concerns, and she was able to work with me and sequence my genes and look at the overall picture about why I was not feeling so well. She was able to make suggestions and help me even avoid something that could have been a problem down the line. I am so grateful for her help, and I know that you are going to find her just a wealth of knowledge, and she has such a huge heart and really is passionate about what she does. So without further ado, here is Tracy Long. Welcome to the Affiliate Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this podcast, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll get to witness healings as well as hear from my mentors, teachers, and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for the last 14 years. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. So today I have Tracy Long with me, and I know Tracy actually probably about eight to 10 years now. She is brilliant, and that is why I've invited her on the podcast. So Tracy is the kind of person that just also wants to know why, is so super curious and so intelligent. I hired Tracy to work with me and to sequence my genome and then tell me what supplements I would need to turn on some genes and things like that. And that's called nutrigenomics. There's something that's called epigenetics, which Tracy will also explain, but it's going to help us turn on genes or turn off genes. Actually, you know what? I'll let you explain epigenetics because, you know, energy is one form of influencing our genes and what you do is also another form of how we can influence our genes. You know, back in the late 90s, they thought we couldn't change our genes, right, Tracy? Yes. By the way, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. You're welcome. So anyway, there's different ways that we can change our genes and what we're going to talk about today is something that's going to maximize our health and our energy and hopefully turn on some genes, you know, based on what she's talking about. I should mention that she is in a book that is the textbook about biohacking and functional nutrition, right? Yes. It's pretty exciting because it's a brand new textbook. It's really the only thing like it out there that it's a textbook called Integrative and Functional Medical Nutrition Therapy. And I'm a contributing author for one of the chapters, which is a huge honor. And I mean, the book's incredible. It's eight pounds. So it's massive. And and it's just, it's loaded with information by, I'm telling you, top researchers in this field of study. It's pretty amazing. And so it is a huge honor to be part of that textbook. I wrote the chapter on therapeutic diets, which which included information about our genes and nutrigenomics. I mean, this is some like next level stuff in terms of trying to get better health, right? In fact, I actually wanted to talk about my personal experience. So after I gave birth to my son, my body went toxic because I had preeclampsia. And so there was a lot of repair that needed to happen. So I was trying to hire the most brilliant people to help me to get my energy back, my body back. I didn't even know that I had this gene that was called the MTHFR gene. And then once I started looking further into it, I was like, wow, this makes sense for a lot of the things that have happened in our family that seem to be random. 
you know, across the board, like health concerns I'm talking about. And then to find out that we could take vitamins in order to turn those genes on or support them, I should say, that made me feel a lot better. That made me feel a little bit more empowered about my health and, and that I actually could have more energy and get my body back to the way that it, it was or mostly back to the way that it was because I learned more about my genes and how they wanted to be supported. What got you into doing this for people? Well, I'll give you a little bit of history in that I was trained as a conventional dietitian and I've been working in the field of nutrition for almost 30 years now, but about 10 to 15 years ago, you know, based on a lot of my clients who were struggling, I mean, I could help clients, you know, lose weight or improve their cholesterol or improve their hypertension. But the ability of clients to maintain that, just it just didn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a source of frustration for both me wanting to really help people I worked with and see them be able to maintain their health habits, new health habits and changes. And using the traditional model just wasn't working. And then I went through periods of experiencing my own health issues and my daughters had health issues and things weren't working. And I was introduced to the concept of functional medicine. And I mean, once you go down that road, there's no turning back It's mm. because it's this idea of getting to the root cause and really individualizing. And, you know, instead of just treating a symptom with a prescription medication, it's about trying to get to the why and really understanding what's going on with someone at an individual level and then helping them optimize their health. And so that journey for me began with me going back to graduate school in 2010 and getting a master's degree in public health. During that time, I did take a couple of graduate level courses in nutrigenomics. Again, no turning back. I mean, once you learn to understand the body's biochemistry and apply it to an individual, it's just, it's incredible. And so I've done a lot of trainings and now I'm at a point where I've developed continuing education approved course for clinicians. So we have doctors and you know nurses and all kinds of healthcare providers that take the course that was developed by me and two of my colleagues. And so it's pretty, pretty exciting to see even doctors getting on board and wanting to learn this right. information. Yeah. Don't they get like one hour of training in nutrition in med school? That's about the equivalent. Yep. <laughs> so crazy. And if you think about it, we are supposed to eat three times a day. A lot of us eat six times a day or, you know, even more. And it's something that we're doing all the time, yet doctors really know little about its function with, within the human body. So this is the wave of the future. This is going to be the way that they're going to start to treat us. It makes sense. How do we receive food? <laughs> like, you know, which which things make us feel better, which things don't. Tracy, I, I also want to say that. So I had my gene sequence, and Fenella had her gene sequence. And when I would speak to Tracy, I think at the time I was asking you a ton of questions. So we talked for like an hour and a half. And then Fen was like, just tell me what I need to take. So you can take either path. You can say, you know what, like I'm going to work with somebody. I just need to know what vitamins to take. But I really, truly wanted to know the why, like what's going on to explain it a little bit more. Let's start with epigenetics. This is the signal that comes into the body and can either what, turn on a gene or turn off a gene. Is that correct? Let's take one step back and let's define nutrigenomics. And okay. then we'll talk about how epigenetics plays into that. And so nutrigenomics is the study of the interaction of nutrition and genes, especially with regard to the prevention or treatment of disease. You know, scientifically, we have this rough equation. So you can try to picture this in your mind that our propensity toward health or disease is equal to our environmental exposures plus our genetics, plus our lifestyle choices. 
And that equation is pretty powerful. When you think about, I mean, today our conversation is going to be around nutrigenomics or genetics, and we know that plays in or factors in now at about 30%. So the other 70% of our propensity toward health or disease is really coming from our environmental exposures. And those could be things we have control over, you know, like how much alcohol we drink or how much we let stress control our lives. It could also be environmental exposures that we don't have a lot of control over, such as the air that we, you know, breathe. If we're out on a jog and a really smelly car drives by, you know, and we're stuck in that, you know, environmental exposures, some control, some we can't control. And then our lifestyle choices, we have a lot of control over that. I mean, we control our sleep, whether or not we wear a bicycle helmet. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on how much alcohol we drink. A lot, a lot of factors around lifestyle. So we know that lifestyle choices and environmental exposures make up the other 70%. And I hope that's a pretty powerful message for everyone to hear. Because I don't know, Amy, if you were like me, when I was growing up, I was watching how my parents and my grandparents were aging. And I was looking at the chronic illnesses they were acquiring. And I knew because they were blood relatives of mine that as I grew up, I was going to end up with some combination of that. Like, you know, diabetes runs in my family. So I thought, oh, I probably have a pretty high likelihood of getting diabetes. And I thought that's just what I inherited genetically. So that's, that's what my predisposition is. It's like 30% of the picture. The other 70% is, I mean, yes, you're predisposed to diabetes, but is there an environmental trigger? And we know now that mercury or heavy metals are a trigger for diabetes. No way. I didn't know that. And so then that other piece is that the diet and lifestyle piece, you know, certainly we can manage our diet to reduce our odds of getting diabetes as an example. So I think that's a pretty powerful message that even if we have a genetic predisposition to certain illnesses or disease or, you know, less than optimal health, we have a lot, 70% of that power comes from um, our control over exposures and our diet and lifestyle. So I like to start with- so happy that you're just laying it out just as easily as that. That's why I feel so empowered about my health. Well, and it feeds right into what you're talking about, about what is epigenetics. And so that 70% really is epigenetics. It's how we can modulate our genetic expression. So we cannot change what we inherited from our biological mother and father. I mean, that, you know, we received 26 chromosomes from both our biological mother and father or 23, and that gives us 46 chromosomes. And on those chromosomes, there are about 23,000 genes. I mean, we can't change what we got, what we inherited, but we can change how it's expressing. Hmm. And so that's what epigenetics is. And so through epigenetics, and this could be energy, like you're talking about, or it Mm -hmm. could be through proper nutrition, or it could be, you know, too much stress or too much alcohol or not enough sleep or exposure to mold or exposure to (laughs) mercury or something. I mean, all of those factors can modulate our genetic expression. And a good way to think about epigenetics is to picture a dimmer switch on the wall. And, you know, you can turn the lights up and you can turn the lights down. And that 70% that we're talking about, the exposures and lifestyle and diet are the things that can modulate our genetic expression, turning it up or turning it down. That's a pretty powerful message because we have far more control over, again, that propensity toward health or disease than we ever thought possible. 
And that was definitely the narrative in the late 90s, right? Early 2000s, they were saying, we can't change our genes, we're stuck with them. They also said that you can't regrow brain cells back in the early 90s, and you can do that. So that is called neutrogenesis? Neurogenesis. Right, right. (laughs) Neurogenesis. (laughs) So yeah, so we're evolving, you know, we're learning that there's more that we can do for our health. Tell us the next level that we need to know about our health and what we can do to maximize it. So like, would you say having an organic diet and non-GMO is probably one of the better things that we can do overall as like a easy switch, right? It's like a a seven item list that I've been trained in. Mm -hmm. And it's really that, and, and genetics is at the bottom. So genetics or nutrigenomics is at the bottom, number seven. Everything above it is actually more important in managing our health. And so an example of one of the items on the list is our diet. I mean, optimizing and finding the right diet for your body, starting with, I'm going to say an ancestral template and a whole foods template for your diet. And we even know that if 80% of the time you can focus on a whole foods and an ancestral template to your diet, you're going to have really improved health. There are some people, you know, that are chronically sick or have medical conditions that maybe need to be a little tighter than that, maybe even need to be 100% spot on. So you're Um, saying like, if I'm Italian, I should be eating pasta and no, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm more like a Mediterranean diet, right? Like, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I know pasta is no good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You are Italian though, right? I am Italian. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the next thing is um, we need to optimize our digestion. And so, you know, we can eat a really healthy diet, but if our gut's a mess, if we're, our gut is inflamed, you know, not able to digest and degrade our food well, if we're not able to absorb the nutrients that we're eating well, if we have some dysbiosis imbalance in our microbiome, you know, we're not going to get the nutrients that we need. And there's going to be a source of fire or inflammation in the body that's coming from a tube that starts at our mouth and ends, you know, in the toilet, about 22 feet long for, for everyone. I mean, it's the size, if you stretched it out, the size of a tennis court, you know, and if that whole surface area is inflamed and unhappy and not doing its job well, it has a profound impact on our health. And so optimizing gut health and digestion, a third thing to consider are our activities, and that's our social connection, which has become a huge challenge in the COVID-19 world, right? Mm -hmm. So social connection, our ability to manage stress. And I think we all think, you know, oftentimes, I don't know how you are, Amy, but a lot of times we think that, oh, we just need to get rid of stress. And we can't get rid of stress. Stress is a natural part of life and it's healthy. It stresses our mitochondria and it challenges our body to be better. But if we're under too much stress or we don't manage our stress well, you know, that's an example of another factor that can upregulate or downregulate genetic expression. And then stress is a separate category. If I went back to activities, you know, getting making sure you get enough exercise, but not too much. I think in our world today, there's a lot of us that are very interested in health that tend to overexercise, which can be a pretty significant source of oxidative stress in the body mm-hmm. and can be very damaging to cellular replication and DNA and our mitochondria. So getting the right amount of exercise and then also managing any types of infections. And that can be, you know, dental caries and gingivitis or gut. The gut is such a, such a big player. I can't stress it enough. And then we do talk a lot about reactive oxygen species and inflammation. And again, reactive oxygen species can come from environmental toxin exposures, from over-exercising, 
And we actually make, we call it ROS, R-O-S, reactive oxygen species, but a big source of ROS in the human body is in the mitochondria. Every time we make a molecule of ATP or energy, our body makes superoxide, a reactive oxygen species, and we need to be able to clear that. And this is an example where nutrigenomics might be helpful because some people have genetic SNPs where they don't clear ROS very well. And then we can identify that and support that. And then we get into that number seven, then we talk about genetics. You know, what is, what is your genetics really about? And so everything I just mentioned has a pretty powerful influence on that modulation of our genetic expression. And then you certainly could speak to something I didn't talk about, which is energy. Yeah. Meditation or energy work, EFT, EFT turns on 72 genes for healing. Yeah. I think that all this is really important stuff because like I said, you know, many times over I'm into biohacking because I want to know the fastest way to improve my body. What is the smartest way to improve my body? Like, like we haven't talked in a while, like a couple, two years maybe. And I was talking about the Carol bike that I have and how, you know, you only have to do it a couple minutes a day if you want, or a couple times a week actually. And it's just another avenue to stress our body just enough um, because it's, it's actually AI technology and it's following how strong my body is and just stressing it just enough. In fact, actually, Fenella the other day said, did we stress you too much? You know, it seems like we did. And then she wrote, yes, you know, like back to the thing. And so they're like, we'll try to go a little bit lower next time, you know? So it's just really, really interesting how everything is evolving, you know, and we're going to get to be like Dave Asprey says, like living to 180, because we're going to get this all kind of nailed down and realize how we can avoid disease or inflammation in the body. I mean, I think that's probably the underlying cause of everything that happens in the body. That's not what you want it to be doing, you know? So inflammation would be like involved in diseases, but also like infertility and. Oh yeah. And it's, uh, it's huge. It's on the rise. It's a big issue. <laughs> it is a huge issue. Bringing down our inflammation is really important. And so these are all different ways that you can do that. So Tracy, what is the best way to sequence our genes? Because, you know, that's where we got to start, right? If we're going to do nutrigenomics, we would have to have our genes sequenced. So yeah, yeah, you have to do some investigation and it's a little tricky right now. Um, it used to be my preference was to have my clients just run their genetics or do a, a saliva sample through the company called 23andMe. They were running about two years ago what they called their version four chip. And it was very comprehensive and it included a lot of markers for, I'm going to call them SNPs. I mean, would you like me to explain what SNPs are to everybody? Sure. Yeah. That was like the dimmer switch, right? You know, they can either be really working well or not working that well or off. Um, that's more of our genetic expression. So, you know, what we inherited from our parents and then we can, we can acquire these SNPs. We used to think of SNPs as mutations, and actually, that's not really true. A true mutation is incredibly rare and usually pretty profound repercussions. I mean, a true mutation is a reason. An example is um, someone who might be born with Down syndrome. And mm -hmm. so they have a significant change in their quality of life and a decreased lifespan because of a true mutation. They're incredibly rare and they have more of a profound impact. So think of that as a mutation and a SNP. SNP stands for single nucleotide polymorphism. And I want you to think of them as much more minor than a true mutation. And they happen very frequently. And a SNP is more like a misspelling, a hmm. minor misspelling in our genetic code. And that's really when we're talking about nutrigenomics, we're talking about genetic SNPs. We're not talking about mutations. 
people think of SNPs as like, oh, oh my gosh, I have the MTHFR SNP. That's that's bad. That's going to be bad for me. But SNPs aren't necessarily bad. In fact, SNPs are part of our phenotypic expression. So they're our hair color and our skin color and I mean, many, many features about ourselves, you know, even our personality traits come from SNPs. And so there are some SNPs that we know that are, they can make us more predisposed to complications around maybe detoxification or methylation or blood clotting or make us more prone to inflammation. So we can look at these SNPs that someone has. But just because someone has SNPs does not mean their SNPs are expressing and it does not mean their SNPs are problematic. And so we have to take this big picture approach where we can assess someone's genetics. And again, going back to your question, how would we do that? Well, I used to have all my clients run 23andMe, but about two years ago, they changed their chip to a version five chip and they eliminated a lot of the SNPs or these important health markers that we were able to look at and guide people. And so you still can run 23andMe, but you're not getting as much data as we were getting two years ago. The current chip by 23andMe does offer some FDA-validated SNPs. One example is APOE4 genetics, which lets someone know about their predisposition um, or risk of Alzheimer's. If you have one copy of the APOE4 gene, your risk of Alzheimer's is about 30%. I mean, to compare that to standard population without the APOE4 SNP, your risk is about 11%. So if you have one copy of APOE4, your risk is about 30%. And if you have two copies, your risk is somewhere between 50 and 90%. And so that's actually um, some helpful information to have. In my mind, it's not scary. I have clients who don't want to know that. They're like, oh, I don't want to know if I have a risk of Alzheimer's because that's a terrible disease. And you know, when you ask me why I was interested in nutrigenomics, this is part of my journey. And that when I started looking at nutrigenomics and of course assessed myself, I found out that I have the high risk of Alzheimer's and it was scary at the time and I didn't know what to do about it. Well, since then, we now have figured out what to do about it. And so I'm just being very proactive in a very specific way about diet and lifestyle factors that will significantly lower my risk of Alzheimer's. And I even love, I have a client um, who didn't want to know her APOE4 status, but then she changed her mind and we looked at it and she's high risk like I am. And I loved her attitude because she said, oh, well, this means that I have like a 50% chance of not getting Alzheimer's. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, absolutely. We can take a positive spin on things. And then we just got proactive about implementing, it's called the Bredesen protocol to end Alzheimer's. We're doing everything we can to prevent her from getting Alzheimer's or maybe just really pushing it back. So it's going to happen much later in her life. And she's going to have a very full life and a lot of good quality to her living. Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty powerful. So we can do the testing and, you know, going back to 23andMe, they are FDA approved and validated for their APOE4 status. And so they're very good for testing APOE4. The other predominant company that you can have run your genetic data is Ancestry.com. Both companies offer a saliva test that's about $100. What they don't tell you is that in the background, they capture this huge raw data file on you. 
And you can go into your account at either place, Ancestry.com or 23andMe, and capture your raw data file and pull it out. Depending on the site, you're going to have anywhere between about 15,000 and 18,000 SNP markers. And it's just so much. And some of it's interesting. Like, are you someone who, when you eat asparagus, does your urine smell funny? Right. (laughs) Or... When you eat cilantro, does cilantro taste like soap to you? And mm-hmm. these are things you probably already know about yourself, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they'll tell you your eye color and your likely height. And, you know, that some of that's interesting, but it's not real helpful health information. And so there are processing sites that run filters that can filter and pull out the genetic data that we now know we we could learn and and maybe modify your diet or modify your exercise or help individualize a protocol for you. And one example of one of those sites is called MTHFR Support. There's a lot of people using Genetic Genie or Livewello or Rhonda Kirkpatrick has a, a processing, you know. And so there's a lot of places where you can take that raw data file and upload it to one of these sites and they filter out some of your data. And even then, it's sometimes difficult to interpret your data. Like, what do you do if it says you're positive for MTHFR? Or what if it says, and usually they color code things. So green means that what you inherited from your parents is probably optimal function, or we call it wild type. And if you're yellow, that means from one of your parents, you inherited a misspelling. And if you're red, you inherited one of those minor misspellings from both parents. And Typically, red means you might have, you know, you have to kind of pay a little more attention to things that are red, but that doesn't still doesn't mean they're expressing. So at that point, once we have that data, we also want to start looking at your symptoms and Mm. even digging a little deeper and looking at your biochemistry. I mean, it's so helpful to run a urine organic acids test or do some blood work and, you know, see, gosh, is your homocysteine high or is your... HSCRP high or in your urine organic acids. I mean, what are we seeing as far as mitochondrial function and your glutathione status? And there's all this other data that we can put together with a genetics assessment to find out if things are really actually expressing and a problem for you. You know, because so we it's use- sort of like putting together a puzzle. I mean, you're you're really comparing a lot of different data and seeing what's the most important thing to focus on. Yeah. Did I answer your question or? Yeah. So that's so interesting that they changed the chip. First of all, I'm glad I did it. I think like five years ago at this point. And I do remember finding out that I could metabolize coffee better than vanilla, (laughs) which we already knew because I could have coffee later in the day and have it and still go to sleep. You do see where it says like you're either predisposed to gluten sensitivity or lactose sensitivity. You know, those kinds of things are important. But the thing that I took away the most was just I do have the MTHFR gene and it blew my mind how the list of the weird things that were happening in our family, like preeclampsia and a cleft palate and my back breaking when I was 16 years old and strokes and heart attacks and diabetes. Like it was just a lot of things that were adding up. And I'm like, oh, well, if you're just having trouble detoxing the body, then of course things are going to start to go wrong. In fact, I know that when we do energy work, whether it's tapping or even probably meditation, I don't know that they studied that, but energy work and EFT for sure detoxes the body. And if you have problems detoxing, then, you know, you're going to be stressing the body more. So, and I like you brought up MTHFR again, because I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the course of my career, I have clients reach out to me and they'll say something like, oh my gosh, 
I, I just need, I need your help. I just found out I have MTHFR and I, I know it's, it's gotta be the reason for a lot of my, my health problems or all of my health problems. And usually these are people that have been dealing with chronic illness for a long time. And they're like, Oh, I finally have a breakthrough and we, I can finally get somewhere and tell me what I need to do about this MTHFR. And, you know, MTHFR can be pretty significant. Um, it's a really long gene. And actually, Amy, I don't know if you knew this, but along MTHFR, we've identified 42 different SNPs. So wait, is that mean 42 different versions of it? 42 different possible versions of SNPs with MTHFR. Oh, wow. And so it's interesting that of the 42, we only think that two of them are possibly clinically significant. One of them is called the C677T version, and the other one is called the A1298C version. One of them, the the A1298C, has more to do with how we make our neurotransmitters, and the C677T has to do um, going through another biochemical pathway where we make SAMe. It's called the methionine pathway, and it it provides the active methylfolate so that we can make SAMe. And SAMe is the major methyl donor in the body. It donates a methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens. That's a methyl group. And it donates that methyl group to over 200 different biochemical reactions in the body. And I don't know if you knew this, but we are methylating about a billion times a second. In oh, a I thought it was 300 times a second. So a billion? Oh gosh, no, it's a billion. Yeah, around a billion. And so if you have any insufficiency, so and it could be around MTHFR, but it could be further on in the methionine pathway. It could be that, you know, you don't have enough base amino acid homocysteine or methionine, or it could be you've got other SNPs around genes called MTR or MTRR. And so it's also really important to yes, be aware of what your MTHFR status is, but you also have to look at the big picture. And so I always caution my clients that, oh, well, I understand that MTHFR certainly could be a factor and be an impact. Like if you have one copy of the A1298C and one copy of C677T, that could mean that your ability to make methylfolate is compromised at about 90%. I mean, that, that can be a big deal, but as long as you're not overstressed, I mean, stress burns up so much methylation. And so if you're managing and modulating the stress in your life and you're meditating, is that such a big deal for you? And also if you're getting enough active methylfolate in your diet, which is really high in organ meats and leafy greens and the legume category, which I know not everybody eats legumes on like a paleo type diet, but there are ways to prepare legumes that get rid of the anti-nutrients and make them very tolerable and very healthful for the human body. But if you're getting enough folate in your diet and you're managing all of those other lifestyle and exposure factors, even if you have that like compromised 90% MTHFR, you actually might be fine. And then let's say as life, we all know life, right? It's a roller coaster up and down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, if things are going on and going along and you're pretty good, but then you, you know, you get COVID or you have to deal with COVID and life becomes more stressful. You have a six-year-old that's constantly around. (laughs) Yes. Those kinds of things. When you're under more stress that, and we can't, so there's some stress we can't make go away. I mean, we Mm -hmm. can change how we deal with it. 
you know, if you have a partner that gets sick or you yourself get an illness or, and there's stress in your life that you can't deal with at times like that, you probably do need extra methylfolate support. And so it's almost like you have to learn the rhythm of your body. And that's part of biohacking is like, oh, what's going on with me right now? And, And I love an example I learned from Dr. Ben Lynch, one of the people that I did training with on nutrient genomics. And he's got this tricky version of MTHFR, that 90% compromised. And, oh, I didn't know that. And he says he manages it really well. But you know, back pre-COVID, he did a lot of traveling and speaking. And he would describe how when he was getting ready, say going overseas to the UK for a speaking engagement, that he knew that the prep for the trip, the long airline flight, the disruption in his circadian sleep cycle, the stress about being in a different country and staying in a hotel and the toxins on the airplane and then the stress of getting up and doing the presentation, that was way more than his body could handle. And so he was taking you know, upwards of between three and five milligrams of methylfolate preparing for and during that trip. And then when he got home and kind of recovered his energy and his sleep, he stopped taking it again. And I love that idea that we can take a food first approach much of the time. And then when we things are a little out of hand, then we can offer supplementation to our body kind of as needed. And I, I think that's really a neat idea of what we call pulsing nutrients when the body needs them. Because so oftentimes, you know, times we hear about something like, oh, I have MTHFR, so I need to just start taking a bunch of extra folate and, you know, healthy B12 and maybe some zinc. And we start taking supplements and we never stop taking the supplements, you know. (laughs) And, And so learning to biohack and listen to your body and ride what's going on with your body, you know, extra nutrients when needed is a really cool concept. So I have a, like a large tray where, of all the supplements that you've either recommended or I have found and I really like. And I've been taking them one by one and I add them together in, in one hand and put it over my heart and see if it, I'm drawn to it or if, it, if I'm not drawn to it. And then there's actually this other thing where you become hyper. So it's like my body will bounce back and forth. And my friend was telling me like that may or may not be good for you. So I'm always just like, eh, I just won't take it today. I'll just, you know, try tomorrow. So that that's another way of kind of pulsing, you know, using your intuition. And I'm I'm not a doctor and I don't recommend that necessarily. <laughs> but I think everybody could look at it in a way like you're saying, you know, not every day are you going to need all the supplements that you may have available to you. And I also like, you know, I'm a busy mom and so sometimes I forget to take my vitamins or whatever and so I'm like, well, I just pulsed. <laughs> <laughs> I just took a day off and, you know, using up what's left and then I'll take it again. So if this is, again, just to maximize our energy and our, you know, gene expression, hopefully, and, and to give us a better quality of life for a longer period of time. That's really the purpose of all this. Well, you know, even just like, you know, if you're deficient in nutrients or you have, you, you need more nutrient, we, we call these nutrients are cofactors. And so, you know, to make certain genes work, you need cofactors, and these are all nutrients. And so we have found that if you have significant genetic SNPs, sometimes if you provide the body with cofactor above and beyond, so in excess of what the RDA says that you need, that you can actually speed up sluggish, you know, things that you've inherited, or that maybe stress is making things run sluggish. And so you can provide that extra cofactor flooding 
It's, it's really a gene that makes an enzyme and that enzyme needs these cofactors to say make SAMI or to methylate or to detoxify or to help make neurotransmitters. And so if we flood with that nutrient, we can upregulate or speed up and get more optimal function, but that doesn't necessarily need to happen all the time. And so just like being you know, deficient in a nutrient can make things run sluggish or cause problems. If we over supplement, we can put a lot of extra pressure on the liver. I mean, the body has to detoxify from extra supplements or nutrients that we're putting in our body. And so it's really nice, like you're saying about like finding that rhythm and uh, what does my body need right now? Or what is my body asking me to provide right now? And and so I like to just encourage people to start learning to pulse like you're talking about. So, you know, the other thing about like, because we've been talking about the MTHFR gene, I know that I have to take time off of the more toxic inducing activities, let's say, whether it would be like going out to a restaurant and having some GMO food and alcohol or things like that. Or actually right now we have fires for the last two weeks, which so I've been going outside because I have sensitive lungs. You know, there's, there's factors there that I know about and I, and I will do the things that I need to do in order to detox. So I have a green juice that I love to take. I have an infrared sauna here. We also have a vibe plate that helps to move the lymph and things like that. So that, those are all biohacking tools that can be really helpful for those that are, you know, compromised with their methylation or know that they're specifically compromising themselves by going out to a restaurant and eating some shit that they shouldn't or <laughs> drinking some stuff that they shouldn't. And we so, all do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's life, right? You know, but like work hard and play hard, but you also need to be able to, you know, balance that out and be smart about it. So I, I also definitely take charcoal, activated charcoal, when I drink or have some things that I know that I shouldn't. We actually know, we've learned over time that if we open up detoxification pathways first, oftentimes we can just optimize methylation without having to do something specific to help methylation. And so when I'm talking about detoxification, I'm talking about the ability of the body to get rid of oxidative stress, getting rid of toxins being able to degrade sulfites, you know, those are very harmful things in the body. And so if we look at maybe someone's genetic predispositions to maybe being compromised in detoxification, and that might be around genes that help the body make glutathione and recycle glutathione or help the body get rid of sulfites, you know, and if we can support all of that and get all of that opened up, oftentimes that almost has a downstream effect of supporting something like MTHFR where we never even and had to go help MTHFR. And so MTHFR is more associated with methylation. And then there's that whole, you know, there's a lot of other genes that are specifically associated with detoxification. And there's a whole nother set of genes that are responsible for helping the body make important neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and melatonin to help us sleep. You know, and serotonin is that feel good hormone that helps us look out the window and just see brighter colors. And if it's high enough, we feel good. And if it's too low, we feel flat or even gray. And dopamine is our thinking neurotransmitter. So it helps us get motivated and process and learn um, and be engaged in life. And so it's just interesting how we've learned when we study biochemistry and nutrigenomics, how we can look at that big broad picture where, like we talked about initially, there's so many people that are like, oh my gosh, I have MTHFR. It's like, well, okay, but what's everything else look like? <laughs> that, right. That what's is the overall player? picture? 
Well, that's your website, Big Picture Health. <laughs> that, that's true. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that was a good website name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, it's funny when I named it, I was thinking more of the fact that I, I have a strong background of, in, in, of course, in nutrition and then exercise science. And then I'm a yoga teacher and I was thinking, oh, I, I can cover all these, these important bases. But really it's more that in my training, I've learned to help my clients look at the big picture of what's their, what is, what are their symptoms? What's their family history and their personal health history and what's their biochemical data? And then what is their genetics? And I do look at nutrigenomics as being a tool in the toolbox. And everything I just mentioned is part Part of the tools in that toolbox. And the more data that we have, the more we can look at that big picture and, and really individualize for someone. It's pretty cool. To be yeah. And I don't do it with everyone. Not everyone's interested in knowing what their genetics has to say. Sometimes we can just look at biochemical data and actually get a pretty good guess, <laughs> you know, what's going on. <laughs> oh, you mean, are you talking about biochemical data, meaning from blood or urine or? Yeah, blood, urine, physical signs and symptoms, bit, bit. I mean, you know, look at all the bio, the biochemical data that we get. We get a lot of markers, you know. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, I, I'm obsessed with the aura <laughs> ring. I also have the eye watch, which will tell me my, you know, heart rate. I use that in order to figure out if a food is bothering me or if a meal bothered me or something like that, meaning I might have an allergy to something I ate. So, I do love biohacking tools as well, in addition to the blood tests and all that. So we were also just talking about some funny mishaps about biohacking. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, when we're testing these things out on ourselves, it goes wrong, right? Like we like take a whole bunch of supplements and think we're going to probably turn on some genes or detoxify or kill off something or whatever. And a lot of times those in the community who try things on themselves because they've heard they work for other people or there's good science behind it, we uh, sometimes end up with the repercussions of the die-off or whatever. And so we were just talking about how I remember when I took grapefruit seed extract after I had been tested through the stool test. This is so this was partly because of what I experienced with being pregnant, you know, my candida levels were very high. And I, I remember calling you and being like, so it says it's three plus and you're like, I'm like, so that's not bad, right? And you're like, well, it's out of four. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> so it was interesting though, because I was suggested that I try different. So there was a medicine that I could have taken. And I think I did eventually try that. And then there was grapefruit seed extract and then oregano. And so all the the actual fungus that was in my body was responding to those types of medicines that they tried on it or those remedies, I should say. And I remember I was like, these pills are tiny. They were the grapefruit seed extract. Yes. So they're tiny. So I was like, ah, I'll take two or three of them. And I took two or three of them and I had the worst headache. I was, you know, in the bathroom. I was, you know, lights out in the bed. I, I was like, what is wrong with me? And then I was like, oh, I took those tiny pills. I thought I was like mightier than the pills, <laughs> but I was experiencing a die off. So sometimes that happens. And those of us in the field of biohacking do sometimes do too much. Yes. I, I went to the biohacking conference and I tried everything the first round and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then I was like, I got to go easy and not do a lot of stuff that they had or not do everything I should say that they had going on there in one day. Well, and then sometimes you don't know what caused the effect or was it synergistic? Was it everything totally. together or yeah. was it what, what one thing was that? <laughs> the thing that caused this. So. Right. I remember one time I went, I think it was the second year that I went and I slept so amazingly. And the night before I hadn't, and I was 
so afraid of the place that I was staying. I was by myself and I looked like the best option. But then when I got there, I was like really upset that I had to stay there. And, and then of course I could have tried to find another place, but that was the whole point. I couldn't find any hotel rooms in the area. Then that, so that night I was surprised that I got a hundred percent on my sleep. I was like a hundred percent. And it was after one day of the biohacking conference. I'm like, clearly something did. I'm not sure which one, but I'm pretty sure it was the one that actually is supposed to improve sleep. So anyway, that's, it's, it's about listening to your body, paying attention. And it's not always a linear journey. When I even work with clients around that with intuitive eating, you know, and I think a lot of us jump on these bandwagons and, and I, I'm a specialist in the ketogenic diet because I work with people with Alzheimer's. Imagine that because I have high risk, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right? So I got trained in the Bredesen protocol to end Alzheimer's. And so about half my clients right now either have a family member with Alzheimer's and they're trying to prevent it or they do have Alzheimer's. And so one of the therapies we use for that is a ketogenic diet. And so that's a medical reason to be on a ketogenic diet, you know, and there's a lot of people who biohack that are certainly interested in eating a lower carb, higher healthy fat diet, you know, mild ketogenic or a ketogenic diet to improve health, optimize health. It's a weight loss strategy in some people, not everyone. Some people gain weight on it, <laughs> but there are people who lose weight on it and it works, you know, great that way. But it's not, not for everybody. And it's interesting how, I mean, and, and a ketogenic diet is actually a version of a paleo diet or an ancestral diet. It can be a very good, healthy whole foods diet, or it can be all processed food as well. So you can eat a crappy ketogenic diet. Right. They call it dirty keto, right? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you can do it a cleaner, you can do it dirty, but it might work for some people and it might not work for other people. And so I like that idea of intuitive eating. I mean, when you listen to your body and really ask your body what it needs. What is your body telling you? And that's a little tricky if you've been eating a standard Western diet. You're going to be kind of programmed to crave sugary things and salty things and want to eat things that aren't that good for you. But once you transition to a more whole food diet, you really can start listening to your body and it will tell you that, oh, today I need a big salad. I need a big pile of greens today. That sounds so good to me. And the next day might be like, I just... I want some meat. I want some red meat today. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am so in favor of people listening to their body and what they think they want. Of course, not a whole huge cake or anything like that, but yeah, a steak or whatever. I recently, Fen went and got a bunch of berries and we hadn't had them in the house for like a couple of days. I opened it up and I saw them. I'm like, ah, I want them. <laughs> it was like the vibration was calling me. And, and so I, I definitely had some. I was like, this is my body wanting it. And you probably needed the phytonutrients or you know, the antioxidants or, I mean, something in that your body was like, <laughs> it, it resonated with me. I do even have a problem when I'm in the uh, grocery store and I'll just be grabbing a bunch of green stuff. And I'm like, it just looks so pretty. And the vibration is so high and it feels so good to have it near me. <laughs> and then I get it at home and I'm like, how am I going to eat all this stuff? <laughs> so sometimes I'm, I'm like struggling to finish up what we have in the house, but and and chocolate, chocolate's all about magnesium, right? Or yeah, mag magnesium. A big, a big part of it. And it can be caffeine too, but magnesium, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anytime I'm craving chocolate, I'm like, yep. And it's been a while since I've had magnesium or something like that. So I'll take some, I'll, I'll eat the chocolate and then I'll remember to take my magnesium for, you know, more often. You, you had started to say that there was a list of seven things to do. I think it was to improve your health. And at the bottom you said was nutrigenomics. What are the other components? Oh yeah. I'll just run down that list again. So it's optimizing your diet. And again, that's not a perfect diet. None of us eat a perfect diet. So if you could aim for like 80% of the time, ideally, right. that's 
that's very admirable. And then optimizing digestion and absorption. So if any, so that's number two, if anything is wonky, you know, going on with your, if your gut's not right, if you tend to be constipated, if you tend to always have loose stool, I mean, you can, the toilet tells us a lot. So yeah, people discount that. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Great biohacking tool is to look in the toilet. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Bristol stool chart, but if not, your your listeners can Google Bristol stool chart and look it up. But it's ideal to have number four stool, which looks like a smooth snake. If your stool is lumpy bumpy or looks like rabbit pellets, you, that's a sign of being constipated and having a sluggish motility. And if your stool is fluffy, if it falls apart, poof into the toilet when you flush, or if it's just runny, you know, that's not a number four. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we, we want to optimize digestion. I mean, you shouldn't be burping, bloated, gassy. You know, it's normal to fart a little bit, but if you're just like room clearing gas, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's not normal. Your body's telling you something about your digestion. If you have really right. bad breath and people are complaining about your breath, if you have early fullness, I mean, listen to how you're digesting and absorbing food. And if it's not happening well or optimally, you know, figure it out or get someone to help you figure it out. So that's number two. The third thing is the activities in our life. And that this is a real challenge with in our COVID-19 world, the social connection, the exercise, not too little and not too much, you know, some sort of spirituality in your life, you know, thinking about all the activities um, that you have interesting hobbies and you have work-life balance, you know, connections with family. Those are all activities in our life. And then number four is stress. And again, I think oftentimes we think, well, we just need to get rid of stress. And that's not true. Some stress can be positive and there is good stress and bad stress and how we manage stress and modulate stress. And like you're talking about, you know, energetically meditating and we all need to manage our stress. And there are some stress we certainly can get rid of in our lives. And if you can do, but the stress you can't get rid of, then you need to learn to ride with it and modulate it and manage it. Right. Um, Which is mindset and you can use tapping or meditation or things like that, or change how you view what is happening. Absolutely. Or get some, get a feedback tool. I mean, get heart math or right. you know, yeah. do, do something. And that, so that's number four. Number five is dealing with any possible infections going on in your body. And right. very common that's gut related, but it can be, you know, something oral. I do a lot of work with clients around mold toxicity. And it's surprising how many clients I have who have fungal growth overgrowth. It sounds so gross, Amy, but... <laughs> A lot of people have fungal overgrowth in their sinuses, and they also have an overgrowth of something called MARCONS. That's an acronym for a type of staph infection in the sinuses. And so just being aware of you know, anything going on in the body that we can fix around infections, that's number five. Number six is reactive oxygen species, ROS, and then inflammation um, that we need to identify and minimize any sources of oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. And it's interesting that sometimes we cause that ourselves. Right. Overexercising. It is. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm the more exercise, the better. Or there's a lot of women I work with who are have have resistant weight loss and they are of that mindset that we've been traditionally taught that, oh, to lose weight, you just have to upset that balance of calories in, calories out. 
And so if you eat less and exercise more, burn more, you're going to finally lose weight. And so I have a lot of women that are frustrated with their inability to lose weight and they over-exercise thinking, I just need to, if I burn more calories, the weight will come off. And what they're doing is causing a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation in their body, which actually can inhibit weight loss, interestingly enough. Right. Um, And disrupt hormones, right? Absolutely. So, so we want to deal with that. And then we get to number seven, which is, you know, if you're interested and, you know, want to go down that bunny trail of, you know, investigating your genetics, you could do 23andMe or Ancestry.com or there's, there's new tests out. Shoot, I was just going to tell you one and I can't remember the name of it. I just heard of something that's called Vita Gene or something like that. I don't know that one, but there's one, it's really good and it's recommended by the Bredesen team for the Bredesen protocol. And I think it's called Intellic Genetics, something like that. There's a lot of medical doctors that are supporting that. And then I'm being trained right now. I'm going through a new training in genetics and it's called, it's through the Nutrigenetics Research. And what I like about this company is that they've created their own genetic SNP out of their frustration when 23andMe changed their genetic SNP and dropped a lot of the SNPs we were looking at. They were trying to work with it and it just wasn't working. So they created their own SNP. And so now they offer their own test. It's a you mean their own chip or their own SNP? It's their own chip. They're yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> now they're playing God? <laughs> no. Yeah, their own um, chip, chip to run to go. test, and it's a saliva test, so you you know pay for it. It's two hundred and ninety nine dollars, but they their program is really amazing. They're very comprehensive, and it was fun that they were able to just take these health markers and really expand on them and tailor tailor their thing. And that's called Nutrigenetics Research Institute. That's offering that. I don't think it's required for everybody, but I know I get it when you're big into biohacking, you might be like, oh, I got to go there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense for me. I mean, I certainly working with you and Fenella was fun and, and some other family members that you have. It's been really fun for me because my, my poor family, they're guinea pigs for everything I do. And so, <laughs> I mean, I, I have the genetic template on my three daughters and my husband and my parents and my siblings. And it is fascinating to put it all out and say, oh, look what my brother and sister got from my mom and dad, which is interesting because my brother and I inherited the high risk for Alzheimer's from our parents who they don't have the high risk, but what they, what we inherited from them for my brother and I is high risk for Alzheimer's. They have a combination that's protective. And my sister, my, we, my brother and I get mad at my sister because she got all the good stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we inherited some kind of hairy stuff, but... <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there's six kids in our family and the two brown-haired people definitely got sick a lot less than the blondes in the family, which was weird. Pregnancy was never an issue for my sister. <laughs> she got pregnant twice very quickly and she didn't have complications, which is amazing and also wonderful. So tell everybody how they can get in contact with you. We've already mentioned Big Picture Health as your website. You know, how can they go further and learn from you? And so my website is a great place to go. And I I really try to provide a lot of information on my website about my background. I have a blog. I have been really busy, so I haven't kept up on the blog as much as I should. That's a big goal of mine. And I'm also working on developing some some courses and trainings. One of them is a six-week course on histamine intolerance. And I'm doing, I want to develop some courses because I understand how expensive it is to work with functional medicine providers. And I'm not as expensive as working with a functional medicine doctor 
but I do get it that it's expensive. And so I want to start developing more courses. So if you want to stay attuned to my website and watch for that, there will be some courses that are helpful to help guide you in helping yourself at a very reasonable price, getting the basics in. And then if you get through the course and have trouble, then maybe maybe you do need help, you know, becoming a client of mine. So my website, bigpicturehealth.com is a great place. And I am on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn as well, and Twitter. So those are all great ways to stay connected with me. Anytime I do training, um, I try to I try to post scientific articles and keep people um, up to speed on topics like nutrigenomics, the Bredesen protocol for Alzheimer's, and I I have a little specialty area around biotoxin illness. It's a bit personal for me, and so oftentimes, right, we we tend to end up helping people in areas where we have empathy. And so I did have a a toxic mold exposure that really derailed me. And it's been wonderful because it required that I learn a lot about mold and biotoxin illness. And it's part of the Bredesen protocol as well. And so my husband is teasing me and he's saying that I need to rebrand and call myself the moldy dietitian because... um, I get uh, I get a lot of referrals from doctors um, helping people with detox protocols for mycotoxin illness, and and I love it. I love that. I mean, I had a horrible, horrible experience. I was so sick and compromised, and it's been great that I'm almost almost all the way back. And it's a nice story to tell to say, wow, you can go from being so disabled and sick to finding wellness again. Um, Were you exposed in a place that you were living in or was it? It was in this, this home. So this is a rental home that we're living in. Um, you know, we moved from Colorado to, we live in the mountains of Western North Carolina now, and we're living in this rental home. And so my office is in the lower level and we, we had no idea. And it was, it was a huge mold problem, black mold. And we lived here for about four months and I just, it's like, I fell off a cliff, got so sick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that there's like one time in my life that was was really, you know, the the moment. But and and I think I've lived long enough now that in that roller coaster model of life, you know, I've had very painful relationship endings. I've had illness myself. I've had, you know, raised kids. So that's that has its ups and downs, right? <laughs> and you know, a lot a lot of things have happened over the course of my life that I would not take any of them back. I, I love the learning that I've had the, for, for the good and the bad. But I will tell you that that experience, um, it was about two and a half years ago that we moved into this house and about four months in, it's like I fell off a cliff. I, and then the interesting thing is at the time, I was working with and supporting clients with biotoxin illness and mold toxicity. And I didn't, it took me about four months to identify it in myself. <laughs> so it's like I couldn't see it. And then, you know, I had to leave. So was it your symptoms that tipped you off or was it did you, like, did you guys accidentally find it? No, it was symptoms. And then once the symptoms arose and we started looking, it was stunning what we found <laughs> in our <laughs> hidden, hidden in our home. The home was remedi- remediated. Our landlord was very wonderful. And my husband actually is very handy and he did the remediation. And I left the home during the remediation. And it was amazing how much better I felt the minute I got out of this place. And mm-hmm. now we have all kinds of, bi- you know, think of biohacking. We have all kinds of fancy air filters that we run all the time. I, I have an air oasis here in my office that I run overnight, every night and turn it off during the day because it has a little ozone in it that bothers me. 
but it's been a pretty amazing journey. And I think something that was so tough about for me, mold toxicity was one and the level of fatigue that I had. And also, I mean, I I know, I, I don't know that I've ever had depression, but the profound, I can't even call it sadness, but almost like I didn't know how to keep living. And it's not like I didn't want to live. I love life and love everything about my life. But it's like, I like in my soul felt like I was dying. It was so profound. And it's like, I, I couldn't overcome it. And I've always been, you know, no matter what's happened in my life, I've always been able to find a silver lining or make lemons out of lemonade. And this was, it wasn't happening. It was like, I was in the pits of despair And it was interesting learning what a biotoxin can do to someone systemic-wide. I mean, to my gut, to my mind, to my soul. It was really awful. Sounds like a dark night. It was dark, but it's where I'm on the other side of it. So, Yep, it's sunny now. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it is interesting how they usually do, dark nights usually do propel us forward in learning the next level that we need to understand. So it's interesting how a dark night can really advance us into the next level of learning. And we may not have gone there had we not been so sick and personally understood it at such a deep level. Mm-hmm. And I do know some of the people that you work with and help, and I'm so grateful that they have you and that you're continuing to help people. And And it does suck that we have to go through those things, but thankfully you figured it out. And it is interesting. That is a, You mentioned how you felt so much better when you left. It's important to pay attention to those kinds of things. You know, If you feel so great when you're on the road, maybe it's because you have no kids, but it also could be because you're not being exposed by mold or something like that. So it's important to always be listening to the body. Oh, you're right. And I really, that's something I so much appreciate about the work you do is just helping people become more intuitive and attuned and to listen. And that takes a pause. I mean, our, you know, our lives are so stressed and so busy and so hectic. And it's like when you just allow yourself to pause and listen, it's amazing what you learn about yourself and then you can better honor yourself. First of all, I am so excited that you're offering a histamine class because histamine is a huge problem for a lot of people and it can keep people from getting pregnant. Isn't that correct? Or it's related to problems in pregnancy. A lot of things. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, histamine intolerance is big, and and part of I know a piece of it is that mold is a huge, a massive trigger. There's many things that trigger mast cell activation. Um, sulfites do, and mold does, and estrogen does, and so you know, people who have estrogen dominance. I mean, we start looking again. That's that training, and what's the why? What's the underlying why? Because it's not normal to have an inappropriate response to the environment. So if your histamine is being inappropriately triggered all the time by the environment around you, we need to dig and find out the why. And in many people it is. It's estrogen dominance and it might be a sulfate sensitivity and it could be mycotoxins. And, you know, there's a long list of things that trigger mast cells. And I think a top of mind thing that people think about is, oh, I need to go on a low histamine diet. And that can be helpful. But if we didn't get to the, what's the underlying why and support that, then a low histamine diet can help, but it's not going to take care of the problem. I want to just mention from the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful for Tracy because one of the issues that she helped me to find 
was this estrogen dominance that I had. When we looked at the chart of the amount of estrogen that I had, it was astronomical. And it was also very, it was the carcinogenic estrogen. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to say something that we're not supposed to say. I am very grateful because it could have really turned into a huge problem for me and caused some possible cancer in my body. And we found it and we were able to safely bring down those levels. And so I'm so grateful for you and steering me down the path of better health. Well, and I, and I think we have to lean on, uh, we, all, we all need to lean on each other and we all make each other better and the world a better place. And so what we did for you was open up your body's ability to detoxify, burn, burn off your excess estrogen. You're right. I mean, I, think, I hope it has improved your quality of life and in the end, kind of under your skin, maybe symptoms that you can't really see or feel. You know, estrogen is important. It's the vitality hormone for women. When it's in excess or the body's not able to degrade it, it's a growth hormone and it can stimulate unwanted growth in the body. And so we- Like a belly fat. (laughs) (laughs) We nip that in the bud, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And estrogen dominance is such a problem these days with all the plastics that people are exposed to. So men can even have estrogen dominance. Isn't that correct? Oh, I see it all the time. Yeah. So it's so important to know what your hormones look like. So important to know what your genes look like and supporting them if, if possible. And then also just, you know, continuing to keep the toxins low so that the energy and vitality is high, right? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are so beautiful and wonderful. And I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge. I mean, you are just, first of all, brilliant, but a genius, I think, (laughs) in fact, with all this stuff. And you are so willing to help and so compassionate. And I love the fact that you empower people with their health and don't allow them to spiral out when they get some news. You show them how they're doing things right and how they can do things a little bit better. So thank you. You're so welcome. And I really appreciate being invited. And thank you for letting me be a part of your community here. It's really an honor. All content provided by Amy Stark and her guests on the Ophelia podcast website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats were created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 